You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 187. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. One eight seven in your mother effing ears. I we are at another seven. I have had to reshoot the intro to this podcast. This is the third time because I dropped the mother effing bomb, and I was like, maybe it's a little too early in the show to start dropping the f word. But <laughs> there is a line that they say in Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg's album, Nothing But a G Thing, from, you know, back in the mid-90s. Yes, I'm 46. And uh, Snoop is just as old as me. <laughs> he is pimping out Coronas on a beach with Andy Samberg now. And I think he's still cooking with Martha Stewart. But back in the day, he was someone to be feared on the streets. If for nothing else, his sick and delicious ability to rap and rhyme in such a way that no matter what he was singing about, you wanted to sing along. So I have no doubt that if he was into from being from sobriety to recovery, he would be into this show and he would be like, dude, you're at one eight seven in the mother effing house. And I'd be like, totally am Snoop. All right. (laughs) Welcome back to the show. Man, I've missed y'all. I have been gone uh, the last couple weeks. Um, I think we missed last week. And uh, shout out to Kaylin for reaching out to me just to check in, see what was going on. Um, You know, when I miss a show, there's generally a reason. And last week, I was a very discombobulated human being. Um, Five and a half years in, y'all, and still have those weeks where I just feel like I'm swimming in like an ocean with 500-foot waves. And generally what ends up happening to me when my emotions get flooded is that um, I, I shut down, I isolate, um, and I just I get super confused in my head about what it is that I'm supposed to be doing, how I'm supposed to be communicating in my relationships. Uh, I, I, I get into this version of me that just questions like... It's a, it's very existential. It's like I question everything. I mean, I kind of question what I my protein shake flavor to the kinds of socks I wear. It's like I just everything is up for debate whenever I get into these moods. And generally it is sparked by having a lot of emotions come up that I that uh I wouldn't say that are unfamiliar for me to deal with, but are uncomfortable for me to deal with. And you know, being in a long-term relationship and also being in long-term recovery, there's things that I'm working on healing and there will be certain behaviors within my house, within a relationship and not just romantic involvement, but also within my family and my friendship circles where things not trigger me to want to use, but trigger me to want to behave the way I used to in my relationships where I isolate, I shut down, I don't share my feelings, I don't even understand all the feelings that I'm feeling. So how am I supposed to talk about the feelings that I'm feeling when I don't understand the feelings I'm feeling and I'm trying to understand them instead of feel them and I don't know what to do all the time. And so I just ruminate and ruminate and ruminate. And lucky for me, I have been working with an energy coach, an energy healer, and we'll talk about her a little bit more later because she's going to come on the show soon. And we've been working on what it is that I ruminate on, what it is I spiral on, and how that affects my energy and ultimately how that shifts me not only internally, but also how it ends up showing up externally. And Last week, working through th- some of the things I did, having a tough conversation you know, with my girlfriend and just being able to really step into some of the emotions that I have. Um, I have a tendency to be uh, codependent. And I know we that word gets thrown around a lot, so I want to be very clear for how it, um, what that experience is like for me. And also the NLP way is to say, well, when do you know you're being codependent, and how do how does being codependent and externalize for you? And when did you decide you're going to be codependent, and when could you decide not to be codependent? Like I understand how to NLP the shit out of this stuff. That doesn't mean that you just snap your fingers and everything is just woohoo la 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 la. 
it's still there. It still needs to be brought out onto the table, right? This is what's going on. Let's see if we can clean it up. Let's see if we can tinker with it a bit, little bit. Let's maneuver some of the picture around so that the picture is even more clear and beautiful, right? Just, you know, just magically NLP things and then it's done. Like it's still, the whole point of NLP is to show you different perspectives, but you still have to do the work. Like with everything else in addiction recovery, there's work to be done all the time. And I signed up for this work. This is the work I chose, but not everybody in my life wants to constantly have their life under a microscope. Not everybody else wants to pull all of their shit out of the closet and shine lights into the corners and see what, you know, roaches or rats run out. Some people are perfectly content leaving their stuff in the closet, no matter how much the behavior might not necessarily be benefiting them anymore. That's their way of living life. You all are into doing it differently. That's why you're 187 episodes into a podcast on sobriety and recovery, you know, that's dripping wet with, you know, personal growth and neuro-linguistic programming. You wouldn't be this far if you weren't into this stuff. So there's definitely a version of people that that are drawn to me. And so with the codependency, how it shows up in my life is this, it's like a need to want to know everything's okay. And I might make up stories where things aren't okay, even though to the other person, they're perfectly fine. Now, their ability to be complacent with ho-hum or average or just the status quo kind of relationship or life, that's, that's them. They can, they can do that. And then it's also my subjective perspective on whether anything is ho-hum or complacent or just the run of the mill. Right. Everybody has their own perspective on their life and the life that they externalize for other people. What I might think is, you know, stale and stagnant and standing still. Somebody else might think is very vibrant and moving forward. This is why the conversations are so important to gather somebody else's perspective. So you can both have some level of agreement on where you think things are going. My old Jesse, you know, is the one who's just like, you know, let's just burn it all down, you know, break up with girlfriends, stop being friends with people, you know, and whether that is ultimately where the situation would would be leading in the past, it would become like the only option for me. Stop being that friend with somebody else, you know, quit that job, quit that person, leave that meeting, don't go back to that group, break up with that girlfriend. Old Jesse was just like, you know what? I don't want to deal with this shit. I'm out. Well, new Jesse wants to stop, breathe, actually have a meaningful conversation with someone, right? Because there was a point where their presence in my life mattered. And if something is shifting, then the conversation needs to be had. But whenever you have a codependent streak in you that wants everybody to be happy with you, it can be tough having those conversations because some things are going to get said that one, I'm not going to agree with, two, they're not going to agree with, and three, that are going to cause some disruption in the relationship for a short amount of time. Now, why I think it's worth having the, t- the tough conversations, regardless if things will be said that we don't agree with, or there will be a disruption, is because you don't have the conversation, and then what happens? You're still internalizing the argument inside your head. It's still occurring. It's just not occurring with them. It's not occurring with the other person. It's just occurring with you. (laughs) So you're making up their responses and then making up your responses to their made-up responses, and it creates a spiraling effect. Nothing gets solved because nothing is actually being discussed. You have to bring the other person in. And again, I understand that it it can be difficult. Uh, Again, the NLP way is to say, well, who said it's difficult? And, you know, when did you decide it's difficult? And when could you decide it's not difficult? I absolutely, all those are very valid answers. All those are very valid questions. And the answers that come are also valid. And everyone's going to have their own perspective on it. But the work still needs to be done. Whether I envision the conversation as being difficult or uplifting is all in the energy I choose to take into it. So I do shift those words around. This isn't going to be a difficult conversation as much as this is going to be enlightening for us to have this conversation. So I want to walk you through some of the steps that I used last week to have a very difficult, again, difficult for me. Girlfriend thought everything was hunky-dory. It was Jesse having his own Jesse. It was just me being me. 
but me wanting to talk about some things that were important to me that weren't not important to her, just not in her awareness that they were important to me. I had to bring these things to her awareness so she knew what was going on. She's not a dummy. She can tell when my energy's off. She can tell when I'm short and curt or I don't come out of the office as much or you know, I hide away in my little creativity cocoon. People aren't blind to a shift in your behavior. They may not be any more comfortable having the tough conversations as you are or aren't, right? They might be concerned about their own feelings. How are they going to respond? How are they going to be okay with disagreeing with what you say and you disagreeing with what they say? Like what happens inside of your body, the charge, the adrenaline, the pupils dilating, the fear, the flight, the flight, the frustrations, the expectations, all of these things coming to a head. If you're feeling them, they are too. In some way, shape, or another, they are also feeling it. And for people who aren't working on themselves, again, they didn't sign up for this. They're not always going to want to be like, yeah, let's have this super tough conversation that I didn't even know you wanted to have because I didn't think anything was wrong. It doesn't matter if someone else thinks something's wrong or not. If you think something is wrong, then it's up to you to bring the conversation to the table. And whether you get the answer you want or not, at least the conversation has been had. So let's go over some of the things that I did, you know, to begin to do this. And, you know, let's, let's, what order do I want to do this in? Some of the things that I did wrong. Let's start with <laughs> some of the, some of the feedback opportunities I got. Um, you know, one, um, I started it off a very aggressive. There's a difference between aggressive and assertive. Assertive is speaking your mind and, and allowing your voice to be heard, but doing it in a loving way where the other person doesn't feel trampled or attacked. I didn't go assertive at first. I went aggressive and I started using some passive aggressive behaviors with some very snide comments. So you mix passive aggressive with snide comments. It's going to escalate to aggressive. Unless both of you are just so passive that you will just allow that shit to fucking come at your face. At some point, someone's going to be like, F you. They're just not going to put up with it anymore. Well, there we go. Now, whether F-bombs were thrown or not, I don't recall, but I can definitely say that the conversation heated up very quickly to the point where it was like we were both, I was going to go to my meeting and storm out and she's going to go back to her office. And while we could have fixed, you know, finished done something with the conversation later. I chose not to go to the meeting in order to continue the conversation because old Jesse would have done that. He'd have just stormed out, whatever, tried to go to the meeting and tried to meet all these people and network and, and you know build the business. All the while, 85% of my brain would have been still pissed off and trying to figure out what the hell went sideways with the girlfriend at the house. And that wasn't going to work for me. I'm not going to storm out and do that. This wasn't such an d- important meeting that it was going to destroy everything I'm creating if I didn't go. So I chose not to go. So one of the things that I did wrong was I I, I came at it passive aggressive aggre- and, and snide, and that led to aggressive uh, on both of our parts. So that's not healthy. Two, I didn't ask if that was a good time to necessarily bring this conversation up. I know that can seem a little weird to have to ask if somebody has time to talk about something that's super important and meaningful, but there's a certain level of pre-frame that can come with, hey, I've got some things that have been bothering me and it could get a little deep. Do you have some time today where we could just sit down for like 30 minutes and discuss some of the things that have been going on inside of me? Now, again, might seem super weird to ask that permission and, well, this matters to me. That person should be able to drop whatever they're doing and follow me down this path. But that's not necessarily true. They could have work commitments, time commitments, appointments of their own. It's good to pre-frame. Plus, in that pre-framing, in that asking, you get permission from them to get into this level of a conversation. So if at any point in time they get they want to, oh, I didn't want to talk about this, I didn't agree to this, this is bullshit, and they want to storm away, you can say, hey, 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 I, I asked. Like, there was an agreement here. Right? We're not just shoving our needs on somebody else. We're asking them to listen to our needs. And then obviously there's going to be some level of a negotiation here. 
in life, we don't just always get what we want. So pre-framing and saying, hey, do we have some time to talk about this right now? I didn't do that. I just went straight into it. Luckily, time-wise, it worked out for both of us, but starting up a conversation that turned into an argument 20 minutes before I had to go to a meeting was silly and foolish on me to begin with. I didn't even set myself up for success on that. So two things I did wrong, passive-aggressive and snide, which led to aggressive. Also, not seeking some level of permission to get into this kind of conversation. Uh, And three, you know, I did was I went in looking only from my perspective on what my agenda was, what my outcome was without fully um, going into that conversation with a level of openness that says, I'm going to hear some things that are going to go against what it is I want. But at the same time, like if I want her to listen to my wants that she may not necessarily agree with, I have to be willing to listen to her wants that I don't necessarily agree with relationships are like that. If one person's always getting their way, then the other person at some point is going to, there's going to be some level of animosity. There's going to be some level of resentment because that person will feel like they give and give and give and give and they get nothing in return. And we don't want our relationships to be transactional, although many times they will seem transactional, meaning I do this for you, you do this for me. We want relationships to be relational where the other person does things, not seeking some level of return or reward from it. That being said, we all have a little kid inside of us that wants to be patted on the head and told that we're good, that we did a good job. Thank you so much for your attention to this, or thank you for doing this, that, or the other. Right? And while, again, we don't necessarily want transactional relationships all the time, there will be times where there is some reciprocation that we uh, would enjoy having back is if it if not getting that reciprocation will ultimately cause you to have animosity, um, some level of disdain for the other person for not doing something because you did something. That's when you start to tread into very murky waters, can turn into shark infested waters if you're not careful. Because it's one thing to do things and hope that you get some level of reward back. It's another thing to do them knowing that if you don't get the reward, you're going to be pissed off. And then you become passive aggressive and snide. (laughs) It doesn't. Do you see the loop that you'll catch yourself in? Right? I mean, there's, there's, there's passive. There's like four kinds of ways that people communicate. Passive, aggressive, passive aggressive, and assertive. And if you tend to be one of these people pleasers who's also passive, then it might go months, if not years, where you feel like you're trampled on and you're not getting reciprocated. That's when things blow up. That's when you find people having irreconcilable differences and parting ways. In life, people are with you for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, right? They're there for a reason, they're there for a season, or they're there for a lifetime. And you often don't even know if the lifetime is really what the person's there for until you are really deeply into that relationship. I've got college friends who from 94 to 2007, I barely talked to, and then Facebook gets invented. I reconnect with people and now they're back in my life, even if it's just via Facebook or some text messages once in a while. But it's like, at least I get to see pictures of their families and their children. And it's like, okay, this person's back in my life. This is, will be a lifetime friendship, even if it's just, this is the primary way we communicate. Other times, you know, it, you might think somebody's all in it for the lifetime and it turns out it's just a season of your life. Your addiction was a season of your life, and those people may not be able to maneuver or even be necessary for this next phase of your life. You're in sobriety and recovery now. You're choosing to work on yourself, right? It's like, don't, if you're lonely, don't bring toxic people back into your life. That's like drinking poison because you're thirsty. You make these decisions, but if you're going to choose to end some level of a relationship and again romantic friendship partnership work whatever it might be when you open when you make a decision that says this is no longer working for me let's make sure that we've had the conversation with the other person that you've at least tried to figure it out if that's what you want to do 
if there's a decision that I need to figure this out, then you're going to have to have that tough conversation if you want to be able to move through it, if you want to see it resolved. If you really don't want to see it resolved and you just want to part ways, then just do so and do so amicably and lovingly and not to go off and trash them on social media or speak badly about them behind their back. Know that there is a beginning and an end. They, you work your way in, you work your way out. So knowing that I did these three things bad, didn't ask, didn't preframe, but the question, is this a good time? Came into it, you know, passive aggressive and snide, which led to aggressive. And um, also came into it really just wanting my voice to be heard and not necessarily uh, wanting to hear her point of view. And mind you, all of this stuff changed during the conversation, but it was how I went into it with my energy level. So let's discuss how the conversation went. So some of the things that I was extremely mindful of to set up. So when we started having the conversation, it was in the kitchen by the coffee maker where we tend to stand around a lot and just like flip through coupons and magazines. It's like where we put the groceries when we walk in the kitchen. So already the environment wasn't really that conducive for the level of conversation I was wanting to have. So once when I was supposed to leave for my meeting and she went back up to Sarah's to the loft office and I was like, nope, nope, we're not, you know, can we please come back down? I'd really like to just finish this conversation. I'm not going to storm out of here. This isn't how we're going to do this. Let's, let's, let's shift this behavior. Um, moved us to a spot at the dining room table that, um, didn't have any anchors. We never sat. At, we never sat in these two seats. Her and I, maybe for like if the family had come over, we had happened to sit at these seats, but generally never had sat in those. And I brought this up before. If you're going to have a conversation, you don't want to do it in the bed. You don't want to do it on the couch where you guys chill and cuddle. You don't want to do it in the kitchen where you tend to cut up vegetables and cook with one another, because you don't want that negative anchor in that in that space. You don't want to create that energy somewhere you happen to be a lot, right? Because now all of a sudden, you know, arguing in the couch and then what? You know, you're supposed to be done and then you're just going to go back to being loving and cuddling on that couch. Unconsciously, your mind is creating an anchor in that spot. So if you're going to have a deep, meaningful conversation, create a space in your house where that's where you do it. You have deep, meaningful conversations in that space. So this was the side of the dining room table we never sit at. I thought this is a good spot for it. There was a reason why I put us there because nothing else had ever happened. So that gets to be the anchor for deep, meaningful conversations. In the future, when we start to do these again, I'm going to be like, you know, can, can we just move up to the table? All right. I don't want the anchor. I, we've done that on that couch. We've argued. It didn't, you know, it's just, I don't want that energy on the couch where we're going to sit and chill and watch a movie and cuddle. It's not the energy I want on the couch. So be mindful of that. Another thing I did really well is lots of looking in the eye, a lot of looking at her instead of looking down or looking away, right? Make sure you're locking eyes Be and, and using, so we've got the location, we've got the the physical body language, looking them in the eye. Um, number, two, number three, I used a ton of I, I feel, I did. This is this is my perspective. This is my viewpoint of this. Now I, I did my best to take the word "you" out of the conversation, because when you start to say "you, you, 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 you" to somebody, they're going to feel attacked, and the natural inclination is going to be to attack back or to clam up. Right? It's fight or flight, fight, fight, flight or freeze. It's going to be one of those three. If you use a lot of I, you're accepting personal responsibility for your part in the entire thing. I'm feeling codependent. I'm feeling like this. I'm feeling like that. I know I've got codependency in me. It, it was stems from mom getting sick when I was eight years old. I buried my emotions and pushed them down because her needs and her Crohn's and her colostomy bag were the things that they were, they were the center stage. Now, from my mom's perspective, she may have thought she was always putting me first, but certainly from my perspective, I was always putting her first. So I know where my codependency is rooted, and it's something that I consistently am working on. And one of the best ways to work on it is to talk about it with people I am codependent toward. That's how it gets illuminated. That's how it goes from being part of my shadow self to part of my illuminated self. It gets it, If you don't take it out of the closet and you try to dance around it, it's not going to get healed. 
So a lot of I statements. I'm feeling like this. Uh, you know, I I don't want to continue creating a relationship like blank, blank, blank. I want to be a part of a relationship that's like this. And this is what I will do in order to feel this. You know, and then it, it, she can, or he or whoever you're talking to, can chime in with what they want, their perspective. Because they may not even realize that this is the emotions you're going through. And they won't until you tell them. Yes, I would absolutely prefer more questions sometimes rather than unsolicited advice. Right? There's definitely some times where, you know, just have somebody just look over at me and say, how are you doing? And when I say fine, go, how are you doing? Oh, everything's good. How are you doing? And it's like that third time someone asks, it's like, oh, you're actually going to listen. <laughs> you're not just going to be like, you know, most of us in society who ask, hey, how are you doing? Good. Oh, awesome. Well, continue on. I will stare at my phone now, right? Most people ask you how you're doing and they don't really want the real answer. When somebody sits down and looks at you and says, I absolutely want the real answer, it is a breath of fresh air. And again, I will frame these things that I'm talking about like I feel, I did. This is my perspective. This is my experience, Taking on that personal responsibility and not complaining or blaming or making excuses allows for the other person to feel and hear that it's not just one-sided. I think it's Chris Rock once said, you know, I hate talking to my wife because every time every time we talk, it's always about shit that I got to do or shit I got to change. Right. And it's like no one wants to feel like every single time we have to have a talk, it's about what you're not happy with me doing. Well, what about what you're doing? Maybe if you were doing this, I would do that. And again, transactional versus relational. But at some point, no one wants to feel taken advantage of in a relationship. And the longer you're in one, the more likely it is that someone's going to get laissez-faire. They're going to get sort of, you know, they're doing their thing. They're tranced out with their life. Then one of you will feel, you know, sort of neglected. So then you'll do some level of neglecting back or you'll start to pay even more attention, hoping that you then get the attention you want. But either way, you're you're going, it's like you're, you're correcting sharply one way or the other. You're just going to get completely, you know, blasé to the whole thing or you're just going to start dumping even more energy into them. And neither one is a good way of taking care of yourself. We're looking for this middle ground. Yeah, I get it. Most relationships won't be 50-50. We might be looking at some 35-40 once in a while. You might even be up in the 65-70 once in a while. But if there's a good ebb and flow back and forth, then each person feels like their needs are being met. And and then they have an opportunity to reciprocate. Sometimes they can just pull back and say, you know, I just got to go recharge. This is what I want to do right now. And the other person's like, that's cool. I understand. Everyone's got their own way of, of recharging and, and feeling vibrant in their life. Please, by all means, go, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself. I'll be here whenever you're feeling ready to rock and roll. This shit's important, guys, because we're in sobriety and recovery for a reason. We buried emotions. We hid from our trauma. We didn't want to heal through things. So when you sit down and you're ready to have these conversations, expect that you're going to have an extremely strong charge inside of yourself while this is happening. And the likelihood that they're having a similar charge is absolutely, positively something that I would be, I'm not going to promise you it's happening, but there's no way that they're going to sit there in this conversation bubble and not also be feeling a charge. And it could be fear. You're going to blame them or you're going to ask of them something that they don't know if they can give up. So they're going to be having their own ebb and flow. And when you feel a charge, you take charge. We've been saying that on this show forever. So when you're feeling a charge, inside. You're feeling your needs aren't being your met, or you're feeling like you're not speaking your voice. You sit down, use I statements, look them in the eye, get in, get in a good environment where other behaviors have not been established, and take personal responsibility. Blaming, complaining, and making excuses puts that person as the villain. This is your fault. You, 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 you. And if somebody's the villain, somebody else has to be the victim, and somebody else has to be the hero. And if you're playing victim and they're the villain, then who's the hero? Who's going to come and save the fucking day? Is it going to be alcohol? Is it going to be drugs? 
Is it going to be another person? Or is it, you're going to bring another problem into the situation? So now you too can go up against the problem right, you know, rather than working out what is actually going on between the two of you. Now, I to preface what I just said there, because it's called triangulation. We're learning about it in the addiction recovery class. When Let's say it's finances. Let's say the, the, the conversation you need to have with your partner is about finances. The problem isn't between you two. The problem is actually the finances. And what you're seeking for is a solution. You need to save more money. We need to spend more wisely. We need to get better jobs so we can make more money. Somewhere in the conversation is a solution. So the problem really isn't necessarily the finances. It could be somebody else feeling like they're working harder than the other or that they feel like the market's down or they whatever, inflation's up. It can be so many things. So when you start yelling at one another, when the real issue is the finances, then you stop yourself and say, okay, the issue we're having is with finances. All this other stuff is just the way we're blaming, complaining, and making excuses about how the other one isn't doing this and the, and the other one isn't doing that. Let's focus on what we can do about the finances. That's healthy because it's then it becomes a union, a partnership, right? And it's not that the finances are the enemy. They're not the villain as much as they're the challenger. The finances, inflation, and gas prices, and all that other stuff, it's just challenging you to push yourself outside of your comfort zone and grow toward a new version of you. And whenever you have that conversation, you both can become partners. It's like Wonder Twins, activate! You bounce the rings off of each other, and and all the little lights shine, and next thing you know, you're soaring through the air, and you're, wow, wow, picture 1950s comic books of Batman, you know, it's like you're knocking out the finances, and it's like, yay, we win, evil finances defeated. <laughs> that is a healthy way of going into these conversations, realizing the problem isn't you two. The problem is the external factor. It's the finances. Fix that up and the problem that you're currently having will probably resolve itself. Um, doesn't mean there's not deeper conversations about responsibility and you know partnership and saving and love and kindness. Doesn't mean that there's not still that conversation to be had. But if you're sitting there screaming at one another, and I watched Devil in Ohio on Netflix the other day, and one of the later episodes in the series, the the the, the issue is that this woman brought in a, a a teenage daughter in the house because she had escaped a cult, and it, it, they started screaming at each other about money and time, and really what they were wanting to argue about was May was the girl that that got brought into the house. So they're arguing about time and money and who sacrificed what. And in reality, what what they really were wanting to argue about was why is this teenage girl who escaped a cult living in our home? So you want to be mindful of doing it that way. That's called triangulation. So whenever you you want to grab something else and make that the enemy so that you don't actually have to talk about what's really going on between the two of you, that's triangulation. When the conversation really does need to be about responsibility or kindness or compassion or partnership or something in the relationship, but instead you decide to bring in this other thing and start arguing about that instead, that's deflecting the real conversation. Now, if the conversation really is about finances and then it elevates into screaming at one another about, you know, who sacrificed more 10 years ago, then you want to stop that on a dime and say, okay, we need to figure out a way to get our finances straight. And then that will alleviate this stressor upon the both of us right now. That's healthy because it really is the finances that you want to discuss. And again, there will be some intricacies underneath the tip of that iceberg that you can discuss the finances and then you can start to flow down that triangle and start to clean up uh, partnership and responsibility and savings and time management. If what's but the opposite of that is whenever you really do need to be working on the relationship, but instead you bring in that third thing so that you can be upset and pissed off about that. You you both say that's the enemy. The enemy is the finances. The enemy is the inflation. The enemy is the politicians who created this inflation. Let's be angry at them. Then you deflect the actual real work that can be happening between the two of you that can make you stronger, that can heal you and heal your past through working through these 
current situations. And all this goes on in my mind (laughs) as I'm having these conversations because I can see it from so many different perspectives. And I say that knowing that at the beginning of this podcast, I said I went into this conversation wanting to get my point across, but not necessarily wanting to listen to her point. So you can simultaneously know there are tons of positions and tons of perspectives happening, yet you can still be locked into first person. In NLP, we teach a process called perceptual positions that allows you to go from first person to second person so you can experience this uh, from their point of view. So you can say, oh, okay, well, this is, you know, this is how I must have looked at, you know, because you know how you behave. So now imagine seeing it from their perspective. Does your, does your argument or does your debate or does the conversation sound one-sided? Is it a bunch of you, you, you's instead of more I, I, I's? Like you can step into that person and see it from their perspective. And for that brief moment, and you can say, wow, okay, I can see me much more subjectively now, right? I can say, oh, okay, well, yeah, I definitely see where I didn't take personal responsibility there. And then the the third position in perceptual positions is the observer. Imagine you were a complete stranger and you walked up and you saw you and your partner having this conversation. What would you notice? What would the body language, what would the tone of voice, what would the volume of voice, what would the mannerisms, uh, the distance and the space between you, the words that were being used? Would you think that you were observing a loving relationship seeking to heal something or two people who are pissed off at each other seeking to make the fight even worse? It's amazing having all of these tools and resources and at the same time still following following down a similar path that I did back in my active using days of the codependency, of the people pleasing, of the inability to express my emotions and to, talk, and to think that my voice should be heard and to talk through things rather than getting pissed off and ruminating about them. This is an important episode for you and for me to share this to you, with you, because this growth that we're on, it is, it, is, it is going to be consistent. There are going to be challenges, right? It's like, I got 99 problems, and then I got 99 solution opportunities. Tony Robbins and, and Brene Brown and Carol Dweck and some of these people I've brought up, tons, Brooke Castillo, they got 99 problems and 99 solution opportunities. It might be different, it might be unique to them, but it's going to come down to emotions and it's going to come down to thoughts. And when we can step away from the thoughts and the emotions for a moment and see what's actual fact and say, well, this is the fact. This is what I think I was experiencing. The other person can bring theirs. Well, this is what I thought I was experiencing. And when you can agree on some of the things like, it was daytime, or we're sitting at the table. Those are the facts. Most of the other things that are going on in the conversation are thoughts and emotions leading to opinions and beliefs. So all these other people, no matter how much they've written books, no matter how famous they are, no matter how many mansions they might own or private jets they have flown in, they're still going through this same cycle. There's a circumstance that triggers thoughts and feelings, which which are going to lead to actions and results, and it's going to come back around to another circumstance. And this loop is happening all day long. And when you want to get into these deep, emotionally meaningful conversations with your partner, with your family members, with your best friend, understand, they're going to feel charged too. And if you're using a bunch of UUUs instead of IIIs, their natural inclination is going to be to push back. And you don't want the pushback, you want the connection. Write this down on one page. Do you want to be right or do you want to connect? So often in our society, around the world, people are so determined to be right, they're not willing to stop for a moment, step back and say, how can we connect in this? That's where the negotiation comes in. That's where one, you know, a little give and take on both sides. If somebody is constantly giving, giving, and giving, eventually there's going to those resistances will turn into resentments and then rejection. And whether that rejection is screaming at someone or packing up their shit in the middle of the night and moving in, moving back in with mom and dad, that's not where we want the whole thing to lead to. We want there to be adult conversations, amicable exchanging of thoughts and feelings, empathetic 
ways of looking at the other person and understanding that they have a whole different perspective on life. No matter how long you've known someone, you cannot possibly have experienced all of the things they've experienced from their perspective. It's impossible. That is absolutely a good use of the universal qualifier there. It is impossible to know somebody else's perspective, even if you were glued to their hip your whole life. But when you sit down in these conversations and you lock in a safe, you know, a good safe space, a good environment, you pre-frame, you make sure that they're ready to have this conversation, you use I a lot, and you're open to hearing things that are you're going to disagree with, but you're also open to the negotiation of being in a strong, powerful relationship, things will progress for you. Whether you are an enabler, whether you're, whether you find that you are codependent, uh, with maybe you're narcissistic, maybe somebody you know is some of these things. And again, we're not looking at actual, you know, medically facilitated diagnoses here. Just as much as like, hey, these are some of the tendencies I tend to show. So let's sit down. Let's have a conversation because I don't want your happiness with me to be dictating my happiness with me. And I think that's a really great summary for the end of this show. Somebody else's happiness with you should not be dictating your happiness with you. And you may not even be right about them being pissed at you. They might be doing, dealing their own things. They've got their whole own life going on. And even if you live in the same house and work together in the same house, and you're both always in the same house, it does not mean you're having the same experiences each and every day. They got their own stuff going on. You've got your stuff going on. And it's important that you, you create a safe space to communicate what's going on in one another's lives. Because you're either growing together or you're growing apart. There is no stale. There's no middle ground. Even when you think, oh, it's stale. Well, don't worry. We'll spice it up later. You're growing together. You're growing apart. But either way, each and every day, there's growth. You may not be able to tell that that plant is growing or perhaps even dying in the shade. But I can assure you, each and every day, that plant is either growing or it's shriveling. And there's not a day when that plant just says, we're going to take a day off. We're good. <laughs> No nutrients for me. Close up the shop. No bees, no birds. Nothing. No one's going to get to drink the fruit of my nectar. Nope. That's it. We're closing it up for the day. We're just going to take a day off. I'm just going to go sit here and lay down on the ground and be chill. Don't worry. Tomorrow, tomorrow I'll get all, I'll figure it out. No. Each and every day that plant is living or dying. And so are you. Each and every day is another day step toward or away. And for me last week, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot to have those kind of conversations. It's a lot to share. Because someone who hasn't been a 22-year addict, you know, on all the drugs and all the alcohol, they don't see the world the way that I see it. I've yet to meet anyone who really sees the world the way I see it. Certainly, there are a lot of shared um, experiences, a lot of similarities, but to completely see it the way I see it, it's, again, not possible. And there are going to be those people in your life too. And that's the most beautiful thing about learning how to integrate with all these various amazing people. And you can be growing with them or or you can be shriveling away from them. It was awesome. I'm bummed I missed an episode. A little too much perfection. A little too much like, oh, this won't be the best episode. I don't know how to talk about this. And maybe I needed a week to just, you know, allow it to simmer, allow it to absorb. But it was amazing. You know, and I look at it now and I'm like, all right, you know, I've, uh, each and every day I feel more and more comfortable being able to express who I am. Um, you know, you would think, you know, you know, that's where I'll stop myself. It's not you would think I'd be already uncomfortable doing it considering I've got podcasts and speeches and all that. But there is an intimacy that happens between two people when they share their their fears and their desires and their hopes and their aspirations. It's things that not a lot of people will get to hear. So when you have someone you do that with, um, it can be tough to have, t- you know, to have those difficult conversations because, you know, you don't want to upset the boat. You don't want to shake things up. You want that person to love you and you want it to be unconditional love. But in order for there to be unconditional love from one, it needs to be coming from both. Otherwise, the, the other person will sense it. And relationships are amazing, and I love talking about them. And some of this stuff, I'm speaking from the heart like it happened directly to me. I'm bringing in a lot of the tribe stories. I'm bringing in a lot of experiences from some of my clients. I'm just sort of 
presenting it to you as this gigantic amalgamation of someone in addiction recovery and coming from my perspective. Two of the things that have helped me so much as I've grown over the last couple of years, especially this year I've been in Huntsville, because I'm coming up on my one-year anniversary. The Tuesday night before Thanksgiving will be my one-year anniversary. And two of the things that have helped me the most has been able to dive into the science of what's going on in my brain, in my mind. What's firing off? Where's the dopamine, the serotonin? Where is all of this stuff being created in my brain that's causing what I feel? Right, it's the, the feelings that I have, the cravings, the cues, the response, the rewards, all of this, right? Being cued off about something that the girlfriend says and that craves me wanting to argue or wanting to isolate. And then the response becomes arguing or isolating. And then the reward is what? You know, more isolation or more anger? It's like, oh, okay, let's shift this now. Because cue, craving, response, reward doesn't just work with the bottle or the pipe. It also works with just conversational, everyday life. So understanding the science of addiction has is, is helped me a great deal. I know it helps you all when I talk about it because you, you tell me when you reach out to me. And then understanding my energy, right? Emotions are energy in motion. So when you have this energy in motion, that becomes the emotion. The emotions you have, are the, it's the energy moving through you that causes you to motivate to do one thing or the other, right? You have these feelings that are attached to thoughts, and then they spark actions. So emotions are energy in motion. And so understanding my energy and, you know, the blocks and the barriers and also feeling, you know, the power positive energy, release and flow. The reason that's one of my favorite sayings is because when you have this positive energy and you release it out there, your life flows. It's like you feel like you're the silver surfer. You're riding on just this amazing surfboard of happiness because you're releasing it out there. doesn't mean every day will be happy, but it does mean that you understand how to feel happy. You can feel happy. In active addiction, we didn't always know how to feel happy. We weren't even sure if what we were feeling was happy. Somebody could tell us, hey, you went to the amusement park. Did you feel happy? I mean, okay, I suppose that's what I'm supposed to say. But did you really feel it? Having that positive energy and releasing it out there and smiling and laughing and being of service and contributing to other people and also having them be of service and contributing back to you, it becomes this amazing just like this swarm of, of, of positive energy. So learning more about my energy. And I say that because I'm getting ready to have two guests on the show. Not in this episode. We're already at 45 minutes. <laughs> I'm going to be bringing you a PhD from the University of Alabama in um, addiction, uh, the, bio, the, the, bio, the, the whole uh, science of addiction. She's got a whole PhD in this. I don't have the notes. I, I wanted to say biology, but I, it's not the genealogy. It's some ology of addiction. Um, just amazing. Uh, professor uh, Trisha Witte. Um, just cannot wait to have you meet her. And then I also have my energy healer who I want to bring on because she talks a lot about how trapped energy and not talking about things and bottling things up and pushing them down causes it's like this huge pressure of energy to build up inside of you. That's when you see the arguments. That's when you see the lashing out. That's when you feel the uncontrollable urge to go use again and you can't stop it. You, you can't push back on that tidal wave. Water might seem super chill and relaxed, but I'll tell you, if you put enough of it going the right speed, it can pick up freaking houses. And so she discusses energy in a way that I think um, really shines some light on what it is that you're feeling and, and how to be able to better feel it, really, and understand what it is you're feeling. So that's Elysia, and she'll be on in a couple weeks as well. So um, this episode was going to be a mixture of energy versus science of addiction, and it turned into 45 minutes of me talking about codependency and how I had a tough conversation. This what the show was always meant to be, at least at the beginning, it was meant to be like a diary of what I was going through in my addiction recovery. And it's grown into so many more things in the last three years that I've been doing the show and through, you know, coming up on six years of sobriety that sometimes I forget that just 
me talking about the things I'm experiencing can also have benefit and not just the things I'm learning and not all the science and not all the woo woo, but sometimes it's just, wow, I had to have a tough conversation and this is how it went. And this is why it got started. (laughs) And this is the stuff I'm healing through. Uh, and I, and I know you find value in this one, you tell me, but two, I have a feeling that a lot of us are going through this kind of stuff this desire to talk about things that are tough with people who may not necessarily even have an inkling of how to see it from our perspective because they didn't live the life we did. They didn't suffer through the substance abuse the way that we did. And it's amazing to walk away feeling more connected. We've, I haven't felt this connected with her in a long time. I feel confident in my ability to talk about things and in my ability to accept that she, her and I aren't going to see eye to eye on everything, but at least we can have conversations about it. Because burying it down, it just causes you to grow apart. And, you know, whatever the outcome is for anything that we do, we don't really know. But I absolutely can attest to the fact that your daily routines and habits are leading you somewhere. And if your daily routine and habit is to shut it off, push it down, and walk away and isolate, then that's going to be your outcome. And if if your daily routine and habit is to be open and have conversations and embrace other people's various points of view and models of the world, then that will be your outcome. And again, you're either thriving in the sunshine or you're dying in the shade. You choose each and every day. My friends, my friends, that is 187 in your mother of the ears. <laughs> I love this show. <laughs> All right, my friends, go out there. Be splendid. Be amazing. Remember, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Inclusivity over exclusivity. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober, even when we got to have tough conversations. Shout out to Sunshine. Glow on. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.